In the world of watches, there are a few people out there who are truly changing the way we all think about them. One of those people is my guest this week. A true reflection of the brand that he owns, my guest is known for creating the Swiss response to the Apple Watch. And yes, he also made a watch with Swiss cheese. I'm not kidding. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Edouard Melon, owner and CEO of H. Moser Watches. Ed and I discuss how he turned an almost 200-year-old watch company into a startup, why he's changing the way the world thinks of Swiss watches, and how he's leading the Swiss watch market on transparency. You're on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. And you? I'm fantastic. So first off, thanks a lot for coming on. Pleasure. I know what you're, you know, you live halfway around the world. I don't know how often you get to come to New York, but this is... Uh, Not enough. Yeah, right? It's a yeah. good city. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, this is, this is a, a pleasure for me to chat with you. But there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Obviously, uh, Moser, H. Moser, your, your brand, which I'm a huge fan of. But we'll talk a little bit about... Because I think... You, for me, you represent, you know, an, an incredible watch brand and an evolution in the business. But I really admire you more for your storytelling skills and your your marketing ability than anything else. And I say that with the utmost. So you don't like our products? No, I love your products. <laughs> but I, I say that because I think what you're doing is so exciting and refreshing. And I think for me, like when you're building the legacy that you're doing, it, it's so encouraging and inspiring to me. It's you're more than a product. I'll put it that way. So I, I really, I thank you so much, you know, for sitting and chatting with me, but to kind of get into this, where, where, where are you from originally? Well, I'm from this industry. I mean, I, I grew up in, um, you know, in the, in the mountains in Switzerland. So, um, in my entire family was working in the watch industry for a few generations. It's so. in your blood. It is in my blood. Because what, your, your father was, uh, was at Audemars Piguet? Yeah, true. He ran AP for 20 years over. And uh, yeah, I grew up, you know, talking watches, dreaming watches. Um, you know, when I got married, my wife was like, your, your family's crazy. Everybody's talking about watches all the time. And yeah, it was not easy to get her to understand it. But, you know, I work with my brother. My father is the chairman of the company. Most of my friends work in the watch industry. So yeah, it's part of our life. What is what is that like? So, like, when you were younger, you know, if your family's in the industry, I mean, is there, like, did you get a, a watch at a young age? I mean, was it all about... Yeah, I mean, as, uh, yeah, early, I, I didn't get an AP very early, but <laughs> still quite early. I think I was uh, early 20s when I, I got the first one from, uh, from my dad. I think it was, a, I don't know, graduation watch or something, and... Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, before that, um, you know, my father worked with JLC, worked with Cartier, he worked in the Valley du Joux. We have a, a lot of other brands. So, I, you know, I remember like getting uh, already at a young age, um, um, a small watch in steel with a blue dial, which I lost. And but I, I really miss, I would love to still have this, this watch. I remember I was probably like five or six when I got that watch. Do you and know what it was? I have no idea. And that's why I, I'm, I'm frustrated about, I have no idea what happened. My father cannot tell me, but I remember it. So, uh, yeah. Oh, man. It's too bad. So, did you guys go on like family trips and stuff like that? What was, what was life like yeah. at home? 
Yeah, I mean, well, my father was not much, um, you know, at home when he was uh, running AP because he was traveling a lot. Or even though he was, we were living 300 uh, meters away from the factory, he was uh, he would have lunch with clients pretty much every day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, holidays were, you know, yeah, family holidays like everybody else, I guess. That's awesome. Because your family was in watches, did you feel this urge to also be in it as well? No, I'm. Uh, I think I have a character where I try to uh, to go my own way, and my first feeling was I want to do my own thing. And uh, yes, I studied engineering, um, micro engineering, and uh, micro technology, and then I I went into consulting, and I felt this is f- for me a way to uh, build experience, and I don't want to go into the into uh, into watchmaking. And then I started working on a project for uh, for the watch industry, and then. I felt, yeah, I have to go there. Pulled back in. <laughs> exactly. They got me. And then I started working in, um, on the, actually on the distribution side. I moved to Asia and uh, worked in, uh, in Southeast Asia, uh, working f- with different independent brands, doing the distribution there. And um, then I went to do an MBA to get more. Because you went to broader. Wharton, right? Correct, yeah. And then I, I wanted a you know, broader um, 360 degrees visibility on the business. And uh, yeah, that was a good choice. So you, going in Southeast Asia to do distribution, could you just elaborate a little bit? What is what is like air quote like distribution? What is what does that mean? Is that well, like product but, sourcing or? Well, no. I mean, you we we were representing different brands, like mm-hmm. a handful of brands, um, watch brands, jewelry brands, uh, usually you know small ones. So there, there was a very entrepreneurial spirit already uh, over there, and the idea is um, you know work with retailers, do the the sales marketing. Uh, with offices representing those brands in the countries. Um, like we have today for Moser, for example, my brother is running the, the office in, in Hong Kong. It's so far away with very sp- some specificities there. So it's it's important, especially for family business like, like, like ours, to, to have this direct contact. And I was representing some brands um, over there. That's, that's awesome. It's Do a you, great experience. Yeah, I was going to say, I think... For me, there's a certain thing that happens when like, you start to become a little bit more of an adult and you get and you realize that the culture that you grew up in is not the same culture that everyone else grows up in. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I remember going to Hong Kong the first time and it was like kind of culture Cultural shock. shock. Yeah. Yeah. But if you like cultures, I mean, I, I, I oh, always for sure. love to travel and, and meet and, and, and respect those cultures. And I think that's, I mean, especially in a business like ours where you meet people from all over the world who have, who share the same, you know, passion and interest right. and stuff like that. It's, I mean, I, I love it. I go to Japan like two or three times a, a year. It's, it's just a, a pleasure to go there uh, every time I, I can because they're amazing people. You know, it's so different from, from Switzerland, from Europe, right. from the U.S. that, yeah. you know, we love to go there. Yeah. So you go to Wharton and yeah. you get your, you're getting your MBA there yeah. and now you're living in the U.S., I don't live in the U.S. I live in Switzerland. Well, no, no, you were living in the U.S. At, at that Wharton. time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Philadelphia, yeah. Yeah. What was that like? It was very nice. I really enjoyed um, because Philadelphia is, you know, it's not that big. Um, pretty yeah. much all the students live in the same area, so you have a, a lot of um, interactions. You, you know, every evening uh, studying or partying, and uh, got some great friends still in contact. Uh, yeah, they were eighteen months, uh, amazing months uh, okay. here in the U.S. and. Yeah, I learned a lot. I think it, it, it gave me this confidence that I needed and also the, the what I said before, the 360 degrees perspective that I wanted to be able to uh, to go the next step uh, yeah. in my life. So what, what was that next step? Well, I wanted to um, to have to build something. I wanted to be uh, you know an entrepreneur. Like you know, there's many people who do, who want to do that. A lot of my friends at Wharton told me uh, you know, 
you're crazy. You should go into investment banking or private equity. You'll make more money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the meantime, many of them changed their mind and went into entrepreneurial uh, ventures. But uh, yeah, I, I I I wanted to do something, and then um, I went to Paris and started a business with uh, with some um, some friends in the mobile phone slash lux- luxury business, which ended up being a failure, but a great experience. Well, would you mind talking about that business? What was that? Well, yeah, it was a brand called uh, Celsius. So the idea was to, at that time, you know, Vertu was pretty successful. Richard yeah. Mill was successful. And we felt we could do something kind of mixing the mixing uh, the two. So we created very high-end mobile phones, with, including some mechanical uh, elements in there, like charging the battery uh, with, you know, mechanical elements, uh, including the mechanical watches in there that you also charge by using the phone, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it was... I don't know if it was too early or too late, but it was. It ended up being a failure. What, what do you mean by a failure, though? Because I think well, it, it ended up being. You know, we didn't. We never made money, and we had the the company went bankrupt. So, right. That's what I, I mean, from a pure business perspective, it was a failure. For a personal perf- perspective, I think it, I learned a lot, and all the a lot of things I do today, and and running uh, a brand like Moser, um, yeah, come probably from that few years experience. Yeah, because I think a, a lot of entrepreneurs and people that I've chatted with. For them, you know, a lot of them came from another company. You know, yeah. I, I don't actually think I've ever talked to anyone where it's like, I started this and I still do it. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you just have so many sort of parts and steps in your journey. And a lot of those, uh, like, are not perfect. They're not ideal. But yeah. the, the experience you get from that helps shape you. You know, there's all those like silly books when people are like failure is the best thing that ever happened. Well, that's typical. <laughs> that's American, I think. Yeah, and that's my chance was that I, I I studied in the U.S. and and could take the positive out of that experience. Oh, because I think a European mindset is more if you felt well, you, you fell and you suck. <laughs> no, so you you get less of a second chance. Um, I got a second chance because I'm lucky to have had my family uh, supporting sure. and, and helping. But um, in, in Europe, it's more difficult to fail and, and get a second chance. In the US, I think it's part of the process. You need to go through those failure yeah. to get the respect and then get, you know, probably those venture capital and the funding, etc. In Switzerland, it's, uh, or in Europe in general, it's it's different. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. That I, it sounds no, like the experience was so better, sorry. though. I mean, for me, I mean, for me, as I said, for me, I think I, I learned a lot in many aspects in cash management in in marketing in being disruptive being different challenging and i think it's uh, and not listening to all the people who say you're going to fail even though i ended up failing but uh, i personally needed something like this yeah facing those challenges and also realizing sometimes you're in front of a wall and you don't realize it as an entrepreneur if you hit the wall then at some point you it's easier to realize the when you get too close to that wall right so then the next steps from there, this is where like I think a lot of people are more familiar with you, right? Because you, you come on to H. Moser. Yeah. So uh, the mobile phone business was not bankrupt at that time, but you know my, my family acquired uh, H. Moser and company in Haute-Lance, and, uh, and there was this opportunity. I mean, um, Moser had been in a difficult situation, so it was a, a real turnaround, and... Um, we needed somebody to, to take over that uh, that position. It's a Swiss-German brand. So mm-hmm. it's, um, I'm, I grew up on the French side, but I studied uh, part of my uh, studies in engineering on the German side. So I could speak both, both languages. I think it's quite a product brand. 
So I had this product background, and obviously being part of the family, that I had, uh, I was privileged to um, to to get that opportunity, and um, and yeah, then I I jumped on that opportunity to um, try to revive and bring Moser to the next level. So what what was that like? Where does that begin? Because you know you're at this position where Moser existed at, yeah. at a point, and now like because yeah, I use the word revive, and I think that for a lot of brands it can be somewhat challenging because you want to be somewhat respectful to the original roots, but yeah. also create and imprint yourself upon that. I mean, there's, there's many different phases in the history of Moser. It's a, it's a 191 years old brand. Yeah. Yet there was a gap between 1980 and 2002 where pretty much no watches were produced in Switzerland. There were some produced in Russia because the brand had been split um, by the Bolsheviks 100 years ago. Um, but the, basically the, the, the brand was relaunched in 2002, 2005 by, by a new group of entrepreneurs. And uh, one of them was the great-grandson of Heinrich Moser. So, um, so there's a few phases of revival. I was not really somebody who revived the brand. I think I, I took over... Um, from other entrepreneurs who had done an amazing job in creating amazing products, great engineering, but I think failed to understand what it means to um, to build a brand. And and you mentioned before, and we you're more than a product. And I think for me that's the best compliment is it's so difficult to go beyond the product in our industry as an independent brand. When people recognize that you know we we went beyond that is yeah for me meaning that maybe we achieve something and um and 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 that was that was an ele- ex- essential element to to um to take over this brand and say you know what can we do to to do it better than than they did i mean they without scrapping everything they've done otherwise i'd rather build a new brand so right. you get this and, and you need to analyze and 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 say what is what are the good things they did what are the things that made me tick when i and fell in love with this with this brand because there are hundreds or thousands of brands in switzerland right we decided to go on the opposite side of Switzerland. I mean, Switzerland is not that big, but still, on the German side, where there's, except IWC, there's no other brand in that in that in that region. So a lot of people were telling me, you know, grew up in the Valley Jou, There's all those amazing brands. Yeah, your family has. There was even a Melon uh, brand. Why do you go to to Moser? And then I had to show them and explain to them why we believe this is a, a unique brand. And uh, and there were so many elements that we want to keep and build on. And, and that's been the story in the last six years. Well, what did you say to them when they were saying that? Well, I mean, the thing, I, I, I tried to explain what, what I fell in love with. And I think um, Moser had the, um, the, the uniqueness of uh, an amazing museum with a history of entrepreneurship that talks to me because I believe I have this entrepreneurial spirit, my father, my brother as well, and yeah, that yeah. talked to us. Heinrich Moser was an entrepreneur. The people that followed his legacy were all entrepreneurs. And even our customers uh, have this entrepreneurial spirit. So I think we, we got seduced by, by that. And having this beautiful museum in the, in the castle for Mr. Moser kind of, you know, grasp us. There's a lot of watches and watch brands out there, but this history is unique. Then I think the products, um, especially the perpetual calendar. I mean, not trying to sell, but I think it's, no, no, it's, it's, whatever for me want. was as an engineer and people that work in this industry. We felt this is one of the the most ingenious product out there um, from a pure technical uh, stand, uh, point of view. The quality was not there, um, the reliability was not not there. But I think the way they had co- uh, conceived it and and thought about the the, the, the complications. Um, trying to bring those smart solutions rather than trying to make a watch complicated was a great start for us to say, how can we develop the brand in the future using this as um, 
the like reference, a blueprint like the or, benchmark, yeah. right? Which is a dream when you have something in your in your collection, but it's a nightmare when you need to to bring the next next product because everybody is comparing with it. So um, yeah, I really fell in love with with this and and thinking this is one of the best, if not the best, movement ever 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 developed. And then, uh, and then the fact that this brand was uh, very integrated, including like uh, producing hairsprings and, and, and um, really the heart of the watch and mastering that. Yeah, we felt this is a unique opportunity that you know somebody built this entire structure under one roof, which is quite unique, and to be able to acquire that and basically in, in one tick to have everything we need to um, to really produce amazing watches was. Uh, I mean, it's, except the big brands that we cannot afford, right? It's probably the only one. Yeah, because I want to sidebar for a moment. A, a, a lot of new watch brands, and, and so listeners are aware of this who may not know, you basically are kind of, you, you create your brand itself, you know, your capital B brand, and then your movement and your dial and your case and all these other things is often sourced from many different places. Yeah. And, uh, you Which know, is fair enough. It's difficult to, to do everything with small size, right? Sure, but that with that wasn't really the, the case with you guys. I mean, you were you came into a lot of stuff that had already been done that you all at Moser had created. Yeah. So which is, and so I'm just calling that out because that's really significant compared to, you know, other watch brands that they're just kind of reassembling from other places and they're like, hey, but this is us. And and so, I mean, that that's fantastic that you, you had that and that, you know, the watch that you're buying is H. Moser in every aspect, shape and form. Well, I think customers are getting more and more aware and and know about those those elements and i think for us legitimacy authenticity are so important having grown in this industry that yeah we didn't want a marketing brand we wanted a manufacturer that really where we master the elements that are so important we want to 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 master the tic-tac we must we want to master the time so suddenly with a brand of that size you know at that time it was 80 people we reduced it to 40 uh, when we took over because it was bleeding money but we basically had in our hands our independence. We were not dependent from any group, from any other uh, watch brand. And that was very important to us. It's not easy. It's like, you know, you double down on poker, but at the same time, it's <laughs> it's what makes it so exciting. And as an entrepreneur, you take risks. And that was a big risk. But Speaking of risks, you know, and earlier I'd said you, you've, you're kind of this lightning rod for the industry uh, and, and how I think you've really shook up and, and changed what air quote like Swiss watchmaking and, and fine watchmaking is because I, I think for a lot of people, uh, especially the listeners, a lot of people's first interaction with you was your response to the Apple watch. Now I know you guys had been around for a while, but the Apple watch was created and what, how did you guys answer that? I mean, well, yes, a lot of people say, you know, Moser, you, you, you're trying to create buzz and stuff like that. Well, we end up creating buzz because we need we need to get out there. We need our name out there. But I think the essential element of everything we do is to try to um, to express our values and what we believe in, uh, being traditional watchmaking, being all those elements of, of original Swiss watchmaking. And when, when, I, when I started with Moser, I was surprised how much journalists were focusing on connected watches and for two years everybody every time i would meet was like so what do you th- what's your take on the connected watches is it going to destroy the watch uh, industry yeah you would have this answer you know well quartz didn't kill us smartphone didn't kill us why would smart watches kill us and people would, next step would be so are you going to create a connected watch and my frustration was like i'm not expressing Moser well enough otherwise people wouldn't ask me that because there's no way we would do a smart watch at h Moser. so 
I started thinking, you know, how to best express this when everybody is going that way and starting creating connected watches, even brands that I respect uh, a lot from the Swiss watch industry, starting to create connected bracelet or trying to connect a little bit of the mechanical watches, which I think is bad for our industry. I think creating connected watches and smart watches like Apple, like Garmin, whatever, they, it's, it's great, but it's a totally different category. I think us, yes. as Swiss watch brands, trying to do that, it's not the best for our industry. So I, I was thinking, how can we best express that? And I came to realize that it's always f people react more to images or symbol than a text that expresses that. And, okay. uh, <laughs> and when we bought the company, we actually um, uh, realized that we had in, on, on our, in our assets, on our inventory, a lot of rectangular movements that they had developed for another watch that actually didn't, never really sold. Uh, well, so we had a lot of inventory, and and that's when I um, I remember in, in June 2015, I think I had my auditor saying, you know, uh, we need to write off those elements because you're not selling them, and which is bad for your balance sheet and sure, from sure, pure financial perspective. And I was I was there, and we do every six months uh, some kind of brainstorming session where everybody has to come up with the craziest idea. And I was it was really the night before, and I was like. You know, it's it's a pity because everybody, every watch brand dreams of having a shape, not a round, a shape movement. Right. And we have one and we do nothing with it and we will have to to write it off. And I'm frustrated with that. And at that time, as I said, connected watches was, was a theme. And I just, I remember being in my bed and connecting the two and being like, that's what we need to do. I don't know how people will react to it, but that's what we need to do. So the next day I presented it to my team. It was just one line on a, on a PowerPoint. And they looked at me and like, are you crazy? And uh, I said, "Yeah, we need to do a we need to to do a prototype for next SIHH." And uh, to be frank, they didn't believe in it, so they just did one prototype. And when we launched it, it was a huge success. I mean, visibility we got was incredible. Of course, we got scared. Also, uh, it became too big for us, and we were scared of reactions. Mm. But uh, uh, at the same time, it, I mean, everybody was ordering. We were like. What are we going to do with this? And uh, and then it took us more than six months to actually de deliver the product because my team, I was pretty new, didn't believe in it, and uh, oh. so they didn't anticipate the the, the demand for, for the cases. So uh, we had t it took quite some time, and now it's been uh, four years, three three four years that we launched that that line, and we're coming to the end of all those movements that we had. So we're going to kill it, and uh, but I think looking back, it's gonna, back it's going to be uh, one of those key milestone that really. Uh, contributed to um to putting the, the brand on the on the map but also giving us as a team and and also myself i think a, a lot of confidence that we have a share of voice i think we even as a small and independent brand if you have something to say and you do it right and with your with your guts then there are people out there that will listen to it not everybody will like it or accept it but it's important that you express it Fall is officially here, and with that, it's time to get some new clothes. Yes, I'm sure you're trying to buy less and buy better, but what do you get? This season, I had the privilege to partner up with one of my favorite designers, Todd Snyder. Todd Snyder clothing is a simple Americana ease that works from the daytime to the nighttime, all the way to a casual weekend. Look, they're the clothes that you wear when you realize you're a grown-up, but you have taste. These are wardrobe staples, like the slim five-pocket twill pants with that perfect subtle taper, and Italian merino knit cardigans that you can wear over your favorite dress shirt or t-shirt. 
If you're looking for something a bit louder, there's the Italian suede Dylan jacket in sage green, or my personal favorite, their signature Sutton suit in a beautiful red and brown check. Pair that with their denim western shirt and you got fall winter on lock. See all of my picks and more at toddsnyder.com forward slash blammo. Every piece is a fantastic wardrobe staple that every man should have in his wardrobe. So check them out and let me know what you think. Visit toddsnyder.com forward slash blammo and see why they're one of my favorite brands. So I, I want to kind of retell this a little bit. So you're in a position where you have all these movements. Yeah. And you're like, I need to find a way to get rid of them. And, you know, I don't want to write them off. I, how can I use this? So you basically, in like a one-two punch, you get rid of the movements, but you actually create a hilarious, beautiful, incredible, I, I, I can't find enough adjectives to express my joy, uh, response and also, you know, horological like dream that is, I think, you know, I'll say this was kind of like a nice, like F you to the, to the whole like sweat, like smart watch industry. And I, I'll just say it, you don't have yeah. to say anything. And, um, and so you win in like every angle because not only did that happen, you also got a ton of press and it was favorable press. And I, I remember reading that and people were just like, who is this brand? What is this? This is hilarious. This is incredible. Because, you know, it wasn't, yes, you said it, it was a prototype, but you sold it. Like it was yeah. a then, lot. Then we did a series and then yeah. we continued. But I think it's, it was a subject of the moment. And basically a lot of press was trying to find ways to illustrate the point of view of, uh, of the Swiss watch industry about smartwatches. And yeah. suddenly Moser was part of the story. And it was like, this is this brand's reaction. This is that brand reaction, usually the big ones for the big groups. And there was this independent that kind of took a stand that probably represents the, the perspective of many, many other historical brands, but nobody there to say it because well, they have too many filters and exactly you have to be careful as soon as you talk to too many people that's why most of our ideas i i don't even submit it to, to my board or to my <laughs> father because otherwise they would say that nah, not do it <laughs> or it dilutes the message and at the end of the day sometimes you burn your, your fingers and we we learned uh, the hard way uh sometimes that you know you go over the edge but you need to be on the edge as an independent brand but i think like that's that is one of the reasons why I love Moser so much is because a lot of watches, okay, look, watches that are going to tell the time or calendar, perpetual movement, you know, minute repeater, all that stuff, which is fantastic. But watches mean more to the people when they're wearing them because of what it represents and what it says about yourself. And, and the story tells, I think uh, that's what we say internally. I mean, every watch should tell a story. Exactly. Otherwise, and why would you spend so much money? I mean, it's crazy how much money people would spend on, on the watch. And it's all about emotion and, and, and these elements that, that make yeah. passion for it. And I mean, a good friend of mine, he, he actually, when we were at SIHH, he went and bought a Moser. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, I know he's listening. He'll text me after this. <laughs> But he, he thank him. For yeah, no, he he loves you guys, and he was one of the people you know who always like kept me fired up about your brand because you know like wearing a Moser says so much about yourself. If there is like this club, because I mean, if you wouldn't mind, like how many watches do you do a year? About thousand five hundred, which is very very little when you say like compare what Rolex like won't yeah. say it is like what it's like close to a million. So. 
that's a it's an order of magnitude and yeah. difference. <laughs> and you know, so what you guys have been able to create is, you know, I think you know something far more enjoyable, you know, and exciting than what a lot of Swiss companies can do. And you know, in a world now where you know, I, I'm not going to get political, but we're we're surrounded by so much things that we're trying to figure out whether or not we should believe them. And you don't really know what does someone mean when they're saying that and what does someone be. And I think Moser for me was like the first real like watch company that I actually believe what you guys are saying. Because from, you know, being in this industry long enough, you meet all these other people whom they say one thing and then you go and you have dinner with them and they say something else. And it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> like That's marketing. And, well, sure, it is marketing, but authenticity and marketing is something that you guys are doing together, which people don't. And I think that's the thing that makes me really happy. I think it's, it's, it's the human dimension. A lot of people say, tell me, you know, why do you use humor? Why do you use, you know, why do you provoke? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we try to talk with, with our heart. And I think if you... If you stay true to that it always works people realize it and um yeah sometimes you do you say it and people don't like it but i think it creates a, a discussion i mean even with you said it was great success we got only positive well we got a lot of people who, who even close to us who said no that was that was a wrong move to do this and but at the same time it creates uh, it creates a discussion yesterday i have a dinner with uh, with a few friends in uh, in new york there were 20 of us and you know very casual a lot of passionate people about the watch industry and and one of those, uh, one of them was telling me, you know, when you launched it, I, I, I didn't like it. I, I, I thought it was a mistake what you were doing. And, and but then understanding why and how and the process and, 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 and understanding the values behind it, I mean, I, you, you got me. And I think there are a lot of people who just want to see the, we say the first level. And sometimes the problem with social media when you have one image. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't want to to understand why and the, the symbolic and what's behind it. I mean, I meet every day people t- who tell me Moser, oh, the cheese watch. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm happy because they know Moser now, but I think we're more than the cheese watch. You know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, but there's, there's this huge amount of, of people who, who, who might stop at that level. And, and then it's easy to criticize without understanding why we did it, where we come from, uh, that it's part of a process of expressing ourselves. Right. Well, because you mentioned it, I actually wasn't going to bring up the cheese watch, but would you mind explaining how this came about and what the reaction was uh, of like internally of what you guys were making this cheese watch for <laughs> internally or, yeah. well, in, internally i mean the, the reaction seeing the success of the the swiss alp watch they took me more seriously when i told them we're going to do a, a a cheese watch well i want oh, i knew i mean there would be a change in the regulation for swiss made and being a hundred percent swiss uh, made brand mm-hmm it was a bit frustrating to see that we would jump from 50 to 60%. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're saying, you know, really, what does it mean to me when I, I see all those brands using the Swiss made um, as an argument to increase prices or, or to, to justify a price right. when we do everything in-house or we source the few elements that we don't do in Switzerland. What's the point? I don't want to be compared with them. So um, I thought this is a good topic to really express, again, our values about um, about what is Moser, what, what we believe in. And then again, seeing the, the success of, of what we had done before, we said we need to create a symbol about it. So I thought, how do we create the most Swiss watch ever produced? So we brainstormed with, with my team. And when I grew up in the Valley Jou, the, uh, a very cool, uh, when, you, <laughs> when you would go to, sc- to school, it was very cool to have one of those backpacks that was covered with cow uh, skin. 
Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. cool today. But at that time, we, no, we cool. in the mountains up there in the countryside, we were really excited about that. So I remember one day in Zurich going back from uh, from the manufacturer and I was thinking about this Swiss made. And I see this kid wearing it, which we never see anymore because it's less cool than it used to be. Okay. This is where I grew up. Um, and I said, oh, this, this is Swiss. This is for me like part of history my heritage that's the way we should start so i had the idea of creating this band with a leather band with true cow uh, skin with the hair and everything and then we were brainstorming what is what do we put as the material so you know in switzerland we we don't have gold but we have salt we have we have quartz we have uh, we have chocolate i was like yeah but that's not you know i need i want something more and and at some point i said well I think we should do something with cheese because we're very proud in Switzerland uh, of our cheese. <laughs> I love cheese. Big fan, and, yeah. yeah same. And, uh, and especially because the best cheese in the world comes from my village. Oh, okay. Different story. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, did, I told my team, I said, uh, we, have to, um, we have to do a cheese case. And they're like, it's impossible. And uh, I said, no, everything is possible. You just need to, uh, to think it through. And um, I had the chance, we were discussing about Richard Mill before. I, I had the chance to, uh, to work a little bit with, with him and remember how he was creating those amazing cases for, for his watches. And um, there was a technology called, called ITR2, where I knew, knew they could uh, mix um, some kind of um, uh, polymerizing material with anything. And mm -hmm. uh, so we went to them and said, would you be able to do that with cheese? They looked at us really and said, "Well, that's just for one watch, right?" And uh, and he, yeah, and we worked on it for six months, I think, until we managed to create that watch. And uh, and again, I think it was it was a very strong symbol. It might have been one of the most successful uh, launch we ever had. Yeah, because that was I think you sold it for charity, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is insane. It was <laughs> yes, selling a two hands cheese watch for I think one hundred and thirty thousand uh, dollars was quite insane. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that there was this constant drive to create something that resembled your values and that, you know, you're, you're pitching these things to your board and your team and they're saying no. More the team than the board. The board is a bit old. For <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but you're pitching these to your team and your team's saying no, but you're still doing it. And you're still saying like, no, we can do this. Well, the first time they said no. After that, they were like... Well, you know, it sounds crazy, but it worked the first time. So, uh, yeah, let's do it. And now they come up with a lot of ideas as well. So. Really? Yeah. Because, I mean... That must say a lot about you as a leader that you're able to make your team feel safe and comfortable enough that they can come up with those ideas. Well, I don't know if it says a lot about me or about my team. I think you grow, I mean, the team grew with people comfortable with that mindset. Yeah. And uh, I remember in the beginning when you, when you start a business or you take over the business like this, you're trying to find your vision. It's not clear to you. So obviously it's not clear to your, to your team. So you try things. There's some in, uh, some input from from some of them, and uh, and then you start pushing them, and a lot of decision you take yourself because you need to establish this vision. And the big difference today from five or six years ago is I don't need to push them anymore. I think it's sometimes I need to break. Uh, really? Yeah, and I and I like that. Even with external people I work with, in the past I was like, no, I. If I work with somebody, I, I want to be the one saying, no, you're going too far. Slow, slow down. But in the beginning, you are the one who need to create this momentum. Yeah. And I, I saw this shift at some point, probably two years ago, where suddenly I was like, wow, they are crazier than me. And, <laughs> and I like that because I, I, we need to be challenged by the, those other people to bring up ideas. And as I said, we do those workshops every six months where, where it's really like, Everybody has to prepare and come up with the craziest idea, and it's few people from from in, internal uh, from our team, and we invite usually one or two people external, okay, because they like to be part of that process, and it's different people every time, 
and uh, and now I see the, the the ideas that people are coming up with are, are amazing, and and then we make a big board and we ch choose which one we think will we should implement short term, and then we keep the others. And I have this board in my t in my in my office, and I take one post-it after the other off once we have implemented them. But that's really cool because people feel they are owning it, you know, and they and they yeah. believe. And I don't need to tell them uh, to uh, to sell the, the the ideas to them because they brought the, those ideas. Where did you learn that? Uh, probably with um, uh, this previous venture where we were a very small team where we really worked a lot together and brainstorming all the time. How can we do something different, crazy? And and um, I think that was a great experience to see like how putting very different brains together can you know bring more yeah. to the company. So much of the stuff that I, we've discussed that I, I've even actually like publicly tried to give you credit for, you're like, oh man, this is this is the team, and I think that that says a lot about the the mentorship that you've experienced and that and the humbleness that you're exhibiting too for for your team. I mean, it's it's something really special. Well, the and team might not say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, should, you like, should get a uh, more objective perspective. <laughs> but I mean, it it says a lot about you that you know that you're empowering so many of these people to do that and you know again it just kind of like continues to reiterate why I, I care about you guys as a brand when you know there are these other people and it's like oh, it was my idea and if i'm gone the company's gone like do you like say but you I'm, had to walk you know, away do you think you guys would be all right but i'm not mr moser and i'll never be mr moser so i think um there'll be somebody else after me and that's what's cool about it um today yes uh, i'm a bit of the face of the brand but i think it's a phase and uh, later on it'd be somebody else. And we try, I mean, what makes the brand today is not me, but the, the amazing watchmakers and we're trying to, to bring them uh, more forward to show really what they do as a work. And, and these are the important elements. That's what makes the brand. Right. And not, not me or not me alone. And um, I mean, it's interesting also to have discussions with, with bigger brands who tell me, oh, you know, we wish we could have, you know, this kind of mentality, but we cannot. We cannot be disruptive. We cannot be so creative because, you know, we have to follow some rules. I think it's a philosophy that in any size of companies, you, you can. And best examples are the big tech companies you, you have in the U.S. Right. They have this philosophy. So why big brands in Switzerland that are 150 years old believe that they cannot be uh, like this? Um, I don't understand. I never worked in one of those big companies. So probably I don't realize the problematic, the politics and all those elements. But... Uh, but that's always interesting to uh, to have those discussions with them. Yeah, I mean, what what is your what does your family think about this? About the business? Yeah, but I mean, I mean, obviously, you said your father is the chairman, but yeah. I mean, how it you know he is sounds like he's empowered you enough to be able to you know create these experiments and to become successful in them. Yeah, I think the the fact that those things were 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 successful. Um, help um, helped us work better together and, and get this empowerment um, in the beginning uh, you know I think I had a lot of people around me that he was trying you know to kind of <laughs> taking f people from AP before that <laughs> kind of control everything we do and, and you realize and then he realized also that you don't run an independent small entrepreneurial brand the same way you run a big company like AP. Yeah. And uh, it was difficult for him also to understand. I think he learned from that, that, you know, he would tell me, you know, you need to do it this way and you need to go to your retailers and tell them that's the way you want to do it. I'm like, there's no way they're going to listen to me because I'm not, I'm nobody. We're nothing. We, we're not, I mean, if they look at their PNL, we're not even on there, you know, it's, they don't need us. So 
that's not the way. You don't impose the rules. You follow the rules or you try to build the, the trust and the, and the confidence and you sell a vision and those, those elements. And I think my father learned a lot from that. And, um, and then I think there was a phase right in the beginning where there was a lot of tensions with those people that, were, that he had put around us with my brother. And, mm. uh, and I think he came to realize quite quickly that we had to take the risk that we as youngsters um, had to take the responsibilities and take decisions and be flexible and be, you know, be ourselves. Having all those people that had big corporation uh, uh, experience wasn't helping. It was, it was basically, they were on the brakes all the time. And I think 2013 was not an easy year because we had all that. Maybe mm. it helped us do the, the first phase of restructuring when you want to put processes in place and, and better um, uh, reporting and, and, and all those elements. But I think, uh, thanks God, we, we managed to, to get rid of them quickly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So well, if they listen to it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, w- where would you say you guys are at now with H. Moser? In, in like, you, you've established, I think, your customers know what to expect, and the quality, the vision. I mean, wh- where do you feel like that you guys are trying to go now? Well, for me, I think I'm, I'm midway where I would love to be. Um, I think we have established a language, we have established a dynamic, we are we're growing fast, but I think there's, there's tons of things we need to do better. Um, I think a lot of people see Moser, as we said, you know, there's this idea of being um, a little bit um, offbeat, mm-hmm. um, a bit more sexy. I think what people don't yet see enough is really where we come from, our heritage, um, our capabilities, everything we do in-house, and etc. And I think that's, um, that's something that we need to do better. Um, the problem is everybody's talking about that. And how do you stand out in this, in this industry, talking about you know, production of products, uh, the fact that we do hairsprings, that we're 190 years old. How does it make us d- different? So we need to, to be able to combine. And the same way we do that with the products is to get this tension between our tradition, our heritage, and modernity, and our personal touch that we bring today in everything we do, from product to communication. And I think we, we're very good with the products. We're not yet very good with the communication. Well, I mean, from if you keep talking the way you're doing now, I think you're going to be in good shape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, the big issue we have in our industry is that we're so dominated by big, 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 big groups and brands that right. the share of voice is very, very small, except if you're bold enough to, t- to say things that sometimes you know stand out and that's yeah. easier when you do things like what we did in the past but talking about um, history is difficult to right. uh, to stand out and get that shared voice because it's quite standard yeah i think that the wisdom that you're also able to to share with the industry itself as a whole is you know i mean as we talked earlier i think like the the legacy that you're making it it really is far beyond product because if you can continue to inspire people and how they think about their brands and their companies. I mean, the Swiss industry as a whole, I think really will be in a better position. But I think there's a whole generation change at the moment yeah. in the industry. And, yeah. and it, I mean, it, it might be more difficult for us as we see more, uh, you know, 35, 40 years old running big brands. And I always see, see the difference compared to three, four, five years ago, which was my father's generation still running those, those companies and for whom, you know, digitalization, social media and all those elements were like, a different world and we benefited a lot from that and i think today it's it's getting more and more difficult because they are they were more aware um and i think the big difference and where we need to um, to continue to play with is um, not play with but is to stay to keep this human dimension that we have as an independent family run family owned brand and that's the the commonality that we have with all those independent brands that we love 
and and why we friends even though we're competing and we do a lot of projects together is because there's a human dimension that sets us apart from all those big brands um today we connect with our customers much more than anybody else we we can really express as we said what we have in our heart our passion um I mean, I, I don't, I cannot say I know 1,500 owners uh, every year for Moser, but quite a lot of them. And uh, every time one watch is sold, I pretty not much know it. And we have a, like a, ch- a chat in the in the in the manufacturer, and people celebrate it. And t- people tell me like, whatever you watch, I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's for us. It's you know, it's our babies, knowing that they are on the wrist of somebody. Uh, we have this connection with the you know the salespeople around the world, and they tell us, "Oh, I just sold them a Moser," and people get excited and send uh, uh, emojis or clap in the in the factory <laughs> in the factory, and people think it's crazy. But for us, it's uh, it's yeah, it's you know, it's our passion, and and being able to share that also with the people that are behind their 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 desk and producing the watches is important because I see it because I travel. But um, unfortunately, not everybody. I cannot bring my manufacturer all over the world. So yeah. uh, to be able to do that is, uh, I, mean, I think they appreciate that. Well, that's awesome. Ed, well, thank you so much for, for sitting and chatting with me. Thank you very much. All right, chat soon. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Yes, that guy. Blamo is edited by Brandon Finn, and our intern is Connor Vaughn. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Want to know more about what's going on in fashion or menswear, meet other folks? Join our Slack group. It's a private chat group online where tons of Blamo listeners chat about everything. Send us an email saying, hey, I want to join the Slack and we're going to get you in. Oh, stay tuned for future episodes. We're approaching our 100th episode and we're working on a really fun project and events all over the world you want to be a part of. See you next week.